Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with city treasurer Jose Cisneros. He's talking about what it's like to manage the city's $12 billion, a new program he's launching for low-paid airport workers, and his secret past as a disco dancer. Jose Cisneros, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks. You were appointed city treasurer just over 15 years ago. Is this going to be your last job or do you have your sights set on something else? Right now, I'm happy with this job. Uh, I, I still really enjoy it even 15 years later. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, we do a lot of great and important work for the city. There's still many challenges that we're working on, uh, improvements we're trying to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and I work with a great team in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as I'm enjoying it, I say, uh, why rock the boat? Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I just got reelected to another four-year term. Congratulations. So, uh, thank you. It was um, a pretty um, neck it, and neck it, race. It, yeah, <laughs> you only uh, got like 99% of the vote or yeah, something like that. <laughs> I guess that's kind of close. Yeah. <laughs> um, for the uninitiated, what exactly does the city treasurer do? Thanks for asking. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we do a lot of great work for the city, but it's not... Um, uh, widely known what we do in our office. Mm-hmm. Um, the full title is treasurer tax collector. Um, so I like to start with the tax collector portion because <laughs> I find that that really boosts uh, our people popularity. really love tax yeah, collectors. That, it, it, it really gets some people going. Um, so we collect almost all the city's taxes and fees, 181 different taxes and fees we collect. And this year we will collect about $5.2 billion of revenue wow. uh, for the city county uh, budget. It's an incredibly important job. Mm-hmm. We take it very seriously. Um, we, we work very hard to make, do, make sure we're doing a good job of enforcing mm-hmm. the tax laws. And while that may not sound like um, the most popular thing to do, it's really, I find it really important because if we don't work very hard to make sure that everyone's uh, paying their fair share, there can be really unfair consequences. Most of our taxes and fees uh, are actually levied on businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we're not making sure that everybody business pays what they owe, there could be you know two very similar business right next door to each other. If one got away without paying all their appropriate taxes and fees, they would have um, an economic unfair advantage mm-hmm. over perhaps a very similar competing business right next door that was following the law. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't seem right. Right? Mm-hmm. We should do everything we set we can to set a level playing field. Um, so we work hard to make sure everyone is is understanding what they owe and, and, and paying what they owe. In order to do that, we've done a lot of work in our office to make things easier mm-hmm. for taxpayers. Mm-hmm. So we've put pretty much every single thing people do with us entirely online. And so in the last 15 years, everything has pretty much gone online. People can go online on their timeline, their convenience, understand what they owe, Mm -hmm. file their their tax uh, return, pay online, do whatever they need to do to make it easier for them. Um, We also provide a lot of um, customer support, uh, customer assistance, uh, 
And you know, what I honestly hear from people is that when, if they do reach out to our office to understand what, what, what a bill is, is charging them for, for example, um, they say, you know what, when we called your office, uh, people really worked hard to mm-hmm. explain what the tax was, what the law is, and why I, I, I owe what I owe. Um, and they oftentimes say, you know, I still may not be happy about yeah. paying these taxes, but I'm happy with at least I now understand why mm-hmm. and what it pertains to. And we worked very hard to deliver good customer service that way to our taxpaying customers. Mm-hmm. Um, back to what we do in the office. The other part of uh, the treasurer side of the office is we take all the city's money and we invest it and keep it safe. Mm-hmm. So the money we invest for the city is all the city's short-term money. Um, it, if, if you were, say, looking at any of your or my actual personal finances, it would kind of be the money in our checking account, mm-hmm. money that's short-term, money that comes in, in, in the case of the city, comes in from taxes or other fees or, or even, you know, state monies that come in or federal monies that come in. They hang around for a few weeks, a few months, and then they go out again to pay salaries, mm-hmm. to pave streets, to buy fuel for buses, on and on, you know, all the types of things the city does. So short-term money like that, just like the way it is in our checking account, we need to keep it very, very safe. Mm-hmm. We don't invest in stocks. Stock mm-hmm. prices could go up, but they also could go down. Mm-hmm. So our, our, our portfolio is very, very much um, the super safest of investments. And on average, lately, uh, the balance in our portfolio is averaging around $12 billion. So it's a lot of money. Billion with a B. Billion with a B. So it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and we take that responsibility very seriously. As I just said, we invest only in the very safest of investments. Mm-hmm. So things like U.S. treasuries, things that are guaranteed by the U.S. federal government mm-hmm. and all that type of thing. Um, and we make sure that um, we never lose a penny of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been very successful with that, even through our last recession, which was challenging even uh, for our type of portfolio. Um, but I'm very proud of the fact that we do a good job of keeping taxpayer money safe. And that's one of our key responsibilities. Mm-hmm. I think ta- taxpayers in the city often have one question, which I'm sure you've heard more than once, which is, why are we paying so much money and you have tw- over $12 billion flowing through City Hall every year, and yet there's such glaring deficiencies in our city government, on our streets especially, homelessness, dirtiness, and people are confused about how all this money is being spent. Absolutely. I think that's an excellent question. We certainly live in a very expensive city, right? Mm -hmm. And I think our taxes and fees um, fall in line with our reputation for being an expensive city. The honest truth is, in our office and even in my position, we don't set any of these tax amounts. Right. You're just in charge of the don't. We don't uh, set the policy. We're not we're not a policymaking office. I'm not a policymaking elected. Um, so honestly, um, that when when folks look at the way the budget is set, which is also uh, not set by our office, mm-hmm. it's set by the mayor and the board of supervisors. Um, what when when we look at you know what is the city you know uh, doing with the money it brings in and how is it addressing those problems? I always refer people to the policymakers mm-hmm. and I say, look, you know, um, those are the folks that are making the decisions every year. From my, I, I do have a front row seat. Yeah, you do. <laughs> uh, for the last fifteen years, to see how they do that work, and 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 how they make their decisions, and I give them a lot of credit because I would say that while our city is is perhaps a bit unique in terms of our very progressive politics and our very compassionate approach to to many things that go on in our city, I would say that the way our city 
um, manages our, our fiscal side, mm-hmm. the way we manage our money, the way we set things like taxes and programs that spend the money and all the above. I think we, that we're a very responsible and well-crafted machine mm-hmm. when it comes to doing that kind of thing. But back to your question, as to how what policies decide where the millions and mm-hmm. even, say, billions of dollars go, um, from my perspective, I see a lot of it being spent on um, on human needs, mm-hmm. whether that's uh, seniors, whether that's kids in our mm-hmm. in our public school district, whether that's um, people with HIV or disabilities. Uh, I see a lot of money being spent on transit and and safety and healthcare. Um, but you know, from what I can witness, there's a lot of competing needs in this city, mm-hmm. and even our massively large city county budget is stretched a bit thin mm-hmm. when it comes to addressing all those needs. I don't envy the job of the mayor and the board of soups having to decide how they will address the the the, the key and and probably for most people the perplexing mm-hmm. you know problems that still exist years later in our city. But I'm hopeful that you know uh, with with good community support that our policymakers can make some headway. I mean, look at Prop C. We mm-hmm. even had a CEO of one of our major organizations supporting attacks that his corporation mm-hmm. would be pretty heavily Unfortunately, hit by. he was the only one. Well, there's that. <laughs> but, you know, at least one was maybe a start. Yeah. Um, so I think I think I think it really from my perspective and it's it's again, it's not one of a policymaker. I think it's really about um is getting the most information out there so that people can make the best decisions and voters can vote on this. Mm-hmm. Remember, um, you know, every new uh, tax has to be approved by the voters. Mm-hmm. Now, um, to their credit, I think a lot of voters here do feel comfortable voting for a tax if they think if they think the the revenues are going to be spent on things that are important to them mm-hmm. and to the and to the community. So I applaud them. And you've worked a lot in recent years on spreading the wealth in this very expensive city. Uh, one of your most popular programs has been kindergarten to college. Can you tell me about the genesis for that idea and, and how it's going? And you were kind of mentioning before we started recording about your own experiences having parents who didn't go to college and how you set that goal for yourself. Yeah, thanks, Heather. Um, I grew up uh, in a family where neither of my parents went to college. What did uh, they do for a living? Um, my father uh, was in quality control at a manufacturing firm. I grew up in Michigan, mm-hmm. and so it, he worked for a car parts company. There was a lot of automotive industry-related yeah, uh, businesses sure. in Michigan, all over Michigan. And uh, my mother worked in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a manager uh, of, a, of a local restaurant. And um, they always impressed on us that all of us were were targeted to go to college but we, you know, we didn't have a lot of ideas or, 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 or uh, stories about what that was like. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up, um, you know, wanting to go to college, wanting to be successful. And honestly, as a gay kid growing up in a small town in the mm-hmm. Midwest, I was pretty anxious to get to, you know, more of a metropolitan community, mm-hmm. places where I find more diverse people um, and, and be able to experience a lot more. Were you out in high school? I was not. Okay. I was not. There was nobody came around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, would, I felt like I would have been the only one. Uh-huh. I'm sure I wasn't, but I felt that way. Um, so, uh, I, I, well, well, a lot of people in, 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 in my town all go to colleges in our state, in mm-hmm. Michigan. I applied to a few of those, but I also applied to MIT in Boston because, again, it was in Boston. Um, but uh, I was lucky enough to get in, and I went to to college there. But at I MIT, also, yes, yeah. at MIT, and 
But I also got a chance to grow up and finally experience, um, you know, um, kind of entering adulthood mm -hmm. in a place with a very diverse community with a lot of things going on. And I really enjoyed that and, and, and gained a lot out of that. Um, but, you know, we were we were not a, a, a wealthy family by any means. In mm -hmm. fact, I would probably call us kind of lower middle class mm -hmm. at best. Um, so I got, you know, loans and, and scholarships to go to college. Um, and um, I was very fortunate uh, to be able to do that. Through my career, at, you know, between college and, and entering um, elected officialhood, um, a phase of my life here in San Francisco, I worked in a number of diff different businesses. And um, in almost every job I had, I had the opportunity to work on issues around diversity. Mm -hmm. For example, my first job out of college was at the largest bank in Boston. Well, bankers in the 1980s pretty much looked um, like a lot of white men and women <laughs> yeah. um, uh, from Ivy League schools. Mm -hmm. And um, I was happy to be there, but I was there just at the time that issues around diversity were really starting to hit. So I, I was invited to join the diversity committee there. Um, and I was honored to do that. And it helped me learn, honestly, mm -hmm. about issues that... Uh, women face and minorities uh, face and things like that. My next job after that was actually at a tech company, believe it or not, but not like the today's tech <laughs> companies. I worked for a company called Lotus, uh -huh. which in its heyday was kind of neck and neck with Microsoft. Um, we all see how that story uh, landed. Microsoft is huge <laughs> and still here today. And Lotus got bought by IBM and is long gone. But I really enjoyed my time there. Um, but again, I joined the diversity committee. I got a chance to understand some really interesting things about how society works mm -hmm. and how, how people face challenges uh, a lot just because of their gender or their ethnicity or whatever. Uh, and so I was really honored to be able to do that work. So fast forward uh, to when um, the mayor at the time, Mayor Gavin Newsom, mm -hmm. appointed me to be treasurer in uh, September of uh, 2004. Um, I was really excited to be able to step up and do the job. One of the first things that um, Mayor Newsom at the time asked me to do was he was in the first year of his being uh, of his term being mayor, and he wanted to um, launch a, a very exciting program to help low income folks in the city um, get connected to a great federal federal benefit called the Earned Income Tax Credit, mm -hmm. or the EITC as it's called. It's been around for a few decades. It's a fantastic program. It helps. It, it, it is proven to help the working poor individuals and families in our country get ahead financially and be more successful. But the only problem with that program is it largely goes undersubscribed because people even, don't even know it exists. Mm. He wanted to do a program where the city would offer a cash incentive to people to sign up to the federal program. And if they did, we'd give them a small cash incentive for doing that. Mm -hmm. And he turned to me and asked me if we'd run that program out of the treasurer's office. Now, that wasn't typically a program the treasurer's office would run, but I think he figured, well, this is a brand new department head who's probably too dumb to know he should say <laughs> no to my request. So, of course, I said yes. So in September, we began working on this program. We launched it three months later in um, January for the tax year. And in the first year of that program, we had 10,000 folks in San Francisco wow. to sign up for that federal benefit. Just bought, just and, and, and how much money did they get from the city? You know, I don't know the exact number, but it was millions of dollars they got from the feds. Um, they got 10% match from us. So mm -hmm. we sent out, you know, maybe somewhere approaching a million dollars mm -hmm. to these 10,000 families. But the real win was them getting these thousands mm -hmm. of dollars of money from the federal government that they otherwise might not have known about. 
So here's what happened. So now we're, we're wrapping up that first tax year and I'm about to send out these 10,000 paper checks to these low income families. And someone who was much more knowledgeable than me at the time said, you know, thousands of these folks who are going to send these, this check to don't even have a bank account, mm. which means you're giving them one more reason, one more purpose, one more obligation to walk into one of these check cashers, yeah. which are entirely Pretty legal, sketchy, but... but they rip people off. They mm -hmm. have predatory pricing. And it really opened my eyes to the issue of thousands of people in our city going unbanked, mm -hmm. not even having a bank account. And so uh, they encouraged me, these learned people encouraged me to look at starting a city program uh, to see if we could do something about that. Mm -hmm. And we had just come off this experience of reaching these 10,000 families and getting them to hear our message and take action. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, why don't we use that same model that we did with the with the the ITC program and bring it to a bank the unbanked effort mm -hmm. to get people to move. So we worked with, again, the mayor and many partners like the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco and the FDIC locally here. And we crafted in partnership with, with the majority of the bank and credit unions in town, a city program that said, if you don't have a bank account, please consider going to get one. Uh, without one, you're going to spend $500 or more each year just in fees to a check casher. Mm -hmm. and, and and nobody spends $500 a year on their checking account. So we know you'd be far better off by having a checking account. And we'll pair you with financial education. We'll help you understand where to go and get a, a low-cost starter account. And we launched that program in 06. And to date, we still have the program to this day. And we estimate that we've moved probably about 75,000 people from being wow, unbanked to banked, which is really, really exciting. Now, I mean, getting a bank account is just the first step mm -hmm. in handling your money successfully, but it's an important first step because yeah. without a bank account, you can't save for future mm -hmm. goals. You can't build a credit score and have all the important things we all need to be financially successful. So we did that. We've launched a number of other programs mm -hmm. to help adults be more successful with their money. But along the way, we decided, what can we do to help kids? Mm -hmm. Because kids are going to, you know, in those formative childhood years, we learn a lot about everything in life. And hopefully we learn about how to manage our money, right? And how mm -hmm. to keep it safe. So we looked at, at research that had been done at the time. And there was a researcher that showed if a child grows up with a college savings account in the child's name, just seeing their family interact with their college savings account builds aspirations over the course of their childhood. Hmm. And that child is seven times more likely to go to college wow. compared to a child that doesn't have those kind of messaging, aspirational messages in there that they experience in their childhood. We know also, though, that a lot of low-income families never get around to opening up a college savings account for their kid. So their kids growing up without that mm -hmm. signal, those signals mm -hmm. sent to them, uh, during the child, their childhood while they're growing up. So we wanted to see if we could do something like about that. Again, we went to kind of the national thought leaders around this, this, uh, this idea uh, of children's savings accounts. And we really crafted our, our local program on the best uh, research that had been done to date. And so in 2011, we launched uh, the Kindergarten to College program. Um, we partnered with the local public school district, which, by the way, is majority kids from low-income yeah. families. The majority of, of students in our public school district are receiving, mm -hmm. are eligible for and receive the federal free or reduced price lunch mm -hmm. benefit, which I think the cutoff for that program is crazy low, yeah. like forty dollars or $50,000 of family income a year. So 
even way more than those kids that are eligible for that. I still would, we would consider kids from mm-hmm. low income families mm-hmm. in our expensive San Francisco city. So we partner with the, the school district and the way the program works is this automatically each year, uh, we in the treasurer's office automatically open up a college savings account for each entering kindergartner. 4,500 kids enter kindergartner each year in our city. And w- the, each of them, um, a few months after starting, uh, a few weeks after starting kindergarten, we send home a letter that says, welcome to your child's college savings account. We've already opened it up at a local bank, uh, Citibank, in fact. Here's your account card. Here's your account number. Mm-hmm. Um, you can start making deposits today. You can walk into the bank branch or you can mail them in or do it online, whatever works for you. Once you're saving, you can go online and check your balance. And by the way, go do that because we already put $50 in your account. Your child already has money saved for college and we'll actually give you a cash incentive every time you save up to three times each year that you have um, the account. Mm-hmm. Uh, to date, we've opened 43,000 accounts for kids in our public school district. Every every kid in our every student in our school district through ninth grade mm-hmm. has a K to C account. Um, um, of those, uh, thousands of accounts that we've opened, thousands of the families have started to save and the families that are saving have saved, um, $4.2 million of their own money for That's their great. kids' college education. Wow. And the majority of that is, is poor families. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced. So those first families must be in high school now. They're huh? in ninth grade. Okay, we have ninth graders. Next year they'll be in 10th grade. I'm excited about it because think about it, right? A ninth grader, a 10th grader, even if their parents haven't made deposits yet, the student can go to the bank and make uh-huh. deposits, right? Yeah. Um, so we're excited about how this is, again, signaling to every child in our public schools, no matter their background, no matter their family income, mm-hmm. college or any kind of post-high uh, school educational opportunity is available to you. You got to have access to whatever yeah. it takes for you to be successful. I'm Heather Knight, and I'll be back with City Treasurer Jose Cisneros after this. I'm back with Treasurer Jose Cisneros. And I hear you're um, starting a new program specifically for airport workers. Yeah, thanks yeah. for asking. So we're really excited about this program. It's it's basically the idea that we're piloting, uh, starting... Um, piloting, this... so to speak, at the airport. <laughs> Hadn't even thought of that. Good catch. <laughs> the, the program that we're... we're test piloting this this coming <laughs> year okay, um, is um, it's a workers fund that's designed like this we're, we're trying to look at the reality that um, even the Federal Reserve has has uh, studied and, and determined that over 40 percent of all the families in this country don't even have uh, like four or five hundred dollars saved mm-hmm. to cover a financial emergency whether that's an unexpected sickness um, uh, an automotive repair that they need, but without that saved money, without that financial cushion, mm-hmm. should some unexpected financial thing happen, it can really wreak havoc on that family. If your car it needs a repair and you don't have the money to fix it, it, does that mean a parent can't drive to their job now? And if mm-hmm. the parent can't drive to their job, do they get fired? Mm-hmm. Do they lose their job? If they lose their job, you know, now they can't pay their rent? You know, What kind of crazy you know, spiraling um, negative things come out of not having a simple amount of of money Mm -hmm. um, to cover an unexpected financial expense. So the idea of the workers fund is this. Um, What if um, we put together a fund, probably likely funded by employers, that said, you know what, this year, if you need four or even $500 to cover an expense, 
just let us know it's here for each of each of the workers particularly the low wage workers mm-hmm. in our in our company and just ask for it we'll get it to you we'll get it to you right away cuz do they know, have to pay it back the idea is that it, that it would not hmm. it would be just money that's available to them and they can access them. it once a year they can access it once a year that's the design we're we're kind of figuring out the design mm-hmm. as as we go through this this test pilot but but the idea is that if we made money available cuz if 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 we can't always Put away the money to save and, and, and don't have access to it when we need it. What if what if we do the savings for them? Mm-hmm. We put it aside. We say it's available. And this year, whenever you need it, just let us know and you can have the money. Um, it's kind of your money, but we're just holding it for you until you really need it. And how did you start with the airport? Well, the airport actually reached out to our oh. office based on... Um, uh, the work we've done with many of these other what we call financial empowerment programs, mm-hmm. and and the airport is a uniquely uh, int- interesting place because while of course it's city owned and city run, and there's a number of city employees there are there, actually the vast majority of people that work at the airport don't work for the city and county mm-hmm. of San Francisco, don't work for our local government. They're like restaurant workers. They work for restaurants. Uh-huh. They were exactly they uh, they're custodians. Mm-hmm. They service the airplanes. They cater the airplanes. Mm-hmm. They clean the airplanes, all that kind of stuff. So what the airport determined was that there's 40,000 people that work at the airport who are private employees of Mm -hmm. private companies. And probably as many as half of them are low-wage workers making $50,000 a year or less. Mm -hmm. And so they they provide a perfect opportunity for us to kind of work with – a, a specific single community and say, what if we could do something that could help our private sector workers at the airport, particularly our low wage ones, mm-hmm. and see if this kind of idea of a workers fund will help them. That's what we're going to try and uh, try out this coming year and see how it goes. Okay. And then if it's successful, you would expand to other places? We'd certainly want to make it available to other employers. Again, um, the idea is that the when workers lose their job or, or or have these kind of difficulties, they might lose their job. They might be have to be absent from their job. We've surveyed the employers. They say that turnover, somebody leaving their their employee and having to hire a new one, can cost I think easily like a couple of thousand dollars mm-hmm. to the employer to go through that transition. Absenteeism costs some thousands of dollars each year. And our idea is, if we can show that there's you know at least a break even, mm-hmm. if you offer this workers fund help help employees stay employed and come to work there might be you know a financial break even for the business and and it makes sense to fund this worker fund and help people with unexpected expenses so where's the money coming from that's in this emergency pot we've got we've raised a little bit of grant funding to kind of fund the pilot the mm-hmm. testing phase and then the idea is that if we can come out of that testing phase with actual concrete results to say this was beneficial for the employers, mm-hmm. then we would turn to the employers and say, okay, would you be willing to uh, fund this, this pool of money that mm-hmm. your workers will have access to? Because it looks like we've proven that that'll be a cost savings for you. Hmm. And would it be mandatory or optional for employers down the road? I don't think we, can, uh, re- we can't make it mandatory for employers, but our hope is that we can have good results that will encourage them to participate. And then ideally, any private business could participate? Yeah, absolutely. Even if they only have more high-paid workers? E- e- even if, however, whatever makes sense to mm-hmm. them. But we want to make sure that, again, we're working with, with folks in ways that can help people weather unexpected need, financial mm-hmm. needs. Because, you know, it's it's the money that helps all of our households be successful, right? Mm-hmm. We all need to have savings. We all need to have um, money when we need it. We all need to have a good credit score so that when we need to 
buy a business or apply for an apartment or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, our credit scores are being used for everything now, just even finding a job Mm -hmm. or applying for an apartment. So people need to understand how they can get ahead. We had a really, actually, a really fascinating story a few years back. You know how we have um, a a limited number of affordable housing units in San Francisco. I've heard that. Yeah, haven't we all? (laughs) And so unfortunately, people that are eligible for affordable housing units Mm -hmm. wait for years on a waiting list to have open them up. There was a Chronicle um, article a number of years back that 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 talked about a, a lovely family that had waited for years on the waiting list. They were lined up to get one of the affordable housing units at the new NEMA mm-hmm. development right on Market Street, close to City Hall. They were they were at the front of the list. They were going to move in, and their credit score wasn't high enough. Mm-hmm. There was a credit score requirement, and so they were almost about to miss the opportunity. And that was heartbreaking to me because. We'd known who they were. They were on our waiting list yeah. for years. So we've actually, um, based on that experience and a lot of other things, we've now launched a program where we offer one-on-one financial coaches mm. to low-income individuals and families in our community who do things like say, how do we make sure you have a bank account? How do we help you pay down your debt, increase your savings? And through the course of doing all those things, how do we help you lift your credit score mm-hmm. so that you're going to have all the opportunities you deserve mm-hmm. to be successful so you're ready for your when family? You get to the so you're ready line. when you get to the front of that cool. line. And I understand that at one point you worked for Michael Bloomberg, who is now running for president. What did you do? So I got a chance to partner with uh, Michael Bloomberg, uh, Mayor Bloomberg at the time. Okay. This was. So a number of years ago when we launched our, our Bank on San Francisco program, mm-hmm. ultimately then our kindergarten to college program, today our, our financial coaching program, and the new one, we joined a coalition of cities all across the country that were doing this work. Uh, what we call financial empowerment programs, mm-hmm. using municipal tools, municipal voices to help people people be more effective with their funny with their money mm-hmm. and their finances. We formed a coalition of cities we call cities for financial empowerment, a national coalition of now over a dozen cities that are doing these programs. We co-founded it. Um, San Francisco and New York co-founded that coalition. Mm-hmm. So Mayor Newsom okay. and Mayor Michael Bloomberg at the time were the founding mayors mm-hmm. of this coalition. So I've had an opportunity to work with, of course, our, our mayor and the New York mayor to lead that coalition. Mm-hmm. And I'm still chair of that Cities for Financial Empowerment Coalition today. Um, Do you think he'd be a good president? Um I think there's a lot of candidates out there that would be a good president. I haven't um, made an official endorsement of the candidates uh, out there today, but I'm excited to see um, who rises to the front of the pack. Mm-hmm. And, do you have uh, a favorite? Um, I like a lot of them. I honestly do. I like a lot of them. I haven't, I haven't chosen a particular favorite, um, but I can say that when I was um, working with uh, Michael Bloomberg and his staff, in the New York City side of, in their Office of Financial Empowerment. Um, he did a lot of good things mm-hmm. to help move this work forward. And even a- after he um, no longer was mayor, through his foundation, he has funded a lot of these types of programs. Mm-hmm. So I have a, a huge amount of respect for the work he's done, just like many of the other candidates. Cool. Well, now it's time for our famous lightning round. Oh, okay. I can't <laughs> wait. Sometimes politicians struggle on these questions. All right. I'll try. Just a warning. What is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? All right. So I'm not a big burrito eater, <laughs> but I do love Mexican food. Okay. And I love Don Ramon's yeah. in Soma, um, a family-run business with great food and a really wonderful atmosphere. Good margaritas. Yeah. Yes. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? You know, um, I think there's a lot of 
uh, great movies that were made here. Obviously, Hitchcock mm-hmm. um, and who doesn't love um, Doubtfire? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got to say, I love the Milk movie. Yeah, that was I really just love the Milk movie. You know, having it uh, be filmed in City Hall mm-hmm. and about a, a tremendous hero like Harvey Milk, it moved me. Do you follow his advice of always taking the stairs at City I Hall? I do try and take the stairs. In fact, I walked here today. <laughs> oh, wow. That's good. Yeah, 20 minutes. Three lovely mid-market. Exactly. Uh, where is your favorite place in San Francisco for a stiff drink? You know, honestly, I'm not a big drinker. Okay. Um, but I kind of like any um, uh, bar or restaurant with a, a, a good casual atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not one for like super fancy places. Yeah. I just like hanging out places where everybody feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. And and for me, that's like a Don Ramones mm-hmm. or it's a, you know, any kind of a neighborhood place mm-hmm. um, where people feel comfortable. There's a number of them in the Castro. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go, I kind of go all over. You kind of live between the Castro and the hate. Do you go to one neighborhood over the other? I, I used to live closer to the Castro because we used to live on Liberty Street uh, up above Dolores Park. So I probably gravitate more to the Castro just because I know it a yeah. little better. Um, but there's a lot of great places all over, I found. And what was your first concert? My first concert was David Bowie mm, in one. Boston in the 70s. I think that's a first for the lightning uh, round. You got to get more old folks <laughs> in here like me. What was the last book you read? Um, I'm not, I'm not finding a lot of time to be a book mm-hmm. reader lately. I'm more, um, TV, uh, good TV shows and movies. Um, honestly, I watched the Irishman a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago on Netflix and I really liked it. Uh, I thought it was a really good insight into, um, you know, a side of life that I'm never experienced, yeah. uh, you know, Jimmy Hoffa, <laughs> uh, but, um, fascinating the way the world works. Um, Yeah. And you are known for being impeccably dressed, as you are right now. People cannot see you as we're talking, but you are always wearing very well-tailored suits. Um, what is your opinion of casual Fridays? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I guess I'm kind of envious of casual Fridays. Although, um, and we we uh, we have it in, in our office, as, as many departments do in City Hall. Um, I, I think that I think that self-expression and, and comfort and casualness is really important, and we've all got but to be you able never, to But you never, I've never seen it. you out of. Oh no, 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 no! <laughs> I, I, I'm not comfortable. With it. No, I, I mean, I don't know. In a way, I would, I will say, it's really kind of easy to to wear a suit and tie every day because it's you don't have to be very creative. Mm-hmm. In it. it's, Where do you shop for your it's, suit? It's almost uniform. Oh, I, I go wherever there's a sale. I think. <laughs> you know, whichever department store is having a sale of, really? of something that they looks, look looks decent and, and fits. Um, oh, no. I'm a government <laughs> worker. I, I'm not out there spending a thousand dollars on, on one suit or anything oh, like that. You fooled me. Thanks. Um, what do you think of the fashion scene in San Francisco or lack thereof? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, I think there's a million things to love about San Francisco, but I think the way that everybody can express themselves, whether you're running around and watching SantaCon or, uh-huh. you know, drag queens or, uh, you know, beta breakers, creative types and, you know, families with beautiful kids. It's just, it's a great community. Mm-hmm. And I think that our live and let live and, and, and very free expression kind of a city is a unique, wonderful little island that, that um, makes me really happy. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people that live here love it. Do you wear suits on the weekends? No. <laughs> okay, I have good. been known to wear a blazer 
to a casual, more casual event. I take the tie off, but <laughs> no, I don't hang around in a suit at home, please. <laughs> Do you own any hoodies? I don't think I own any hoodies. <laughs> oh my no, gosh. No. A San Francisco man without a hoodie. I know. This is also a first. I guess there's a, there's a gift need I have there, right? So I asked a couple of friends of yours of questions I should ask you, and I heard the word disco came up a couple of times. One person said you're a great disco dancer, but one person said you only listen to disco music. So what is the correct? Okay, again, uh, uh, um, I have to I have to be honest. I did grow up very formative years in the seventies, so I have been to discotheques in my day. <laughs> I did dance to a few disco songs while I was there. I wore, you know, crazy tight jeans and flare bell bottoms. And I was, you know, I was in my 20s. Come on. <laughs> you know, you do a lot of irresponsible things in your 20s. Um, I would never say I was a great disco dancer, but I was an enthusiastic and happy and jubilant <laughs> um, dancer when I did get a chance to participate. Um, I would not claim I was anything close to that. Uh, you won't even catch me on a dance floor anymore <laughs> in my uh uh, more advanced years now. Well, Susie Loftus danced on the podcast when she came. Oh, so wow. we could give you that opportunity. She's my want. inspiration. <laughs> I would need years of practice, though, before I would attempt something like that. So, um, But thank you for the invitation. <laughs> You're welcome. Lastly, what is something you always squeeze into your busy day? Uh, you know, honestly, I always want to make sure that I have time to relax and unwind. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, like I don't go... Um, you know, to this or that uh, on any particular set schedule. Though I, I, I really do try and be faithful and go to a gym with my uh, physical trainer. Mm -hmm. um, Which gym? Um, I go to, um, it's at 1000 Van Ness. Mm -hmm. um, and my trainer there, uh, I've been working with him for, oh, geez, almost four or five years. And the reason I go and work out with him is number one, it's a great way to get a great workout. But number two, left to my own devices, I'm too lazy to uh, go on a regular schedule. Uh -huh. So the only reason I, I'm able to go and keep up the, the steady regular appearances is knowing I have to go and meet my trainer. So okay. I'm excited about that. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for coming. It was fun to talk to you. Thanks. Thanks to Jose Cisneros for joining me today, to King Kaufman and Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and to you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.